Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. And now, the number one most requested song on WQQR. Will you be going to the, uh, the pajama disco tonight? What? Hit me. There's some gas in my hand. Come on, dog. Hit you with a gun. Come on, man. Give me some money. Now I'll be bullshit. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. As always, duh. Uh, So I got to tell y'all something. March almost took me all the way out the game. Like, it was just... So busy. We had a shorts festival at Nighthawk Cinema, which is where I program films. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful event that we've been building up for months and months. And it was just so beautiful and great to see that all come together. So that was the beginning of March. And then the day, two days after that ended, I had two screenings in a row to host. I had Eve's Bayou and House Party. And then the week after that, I hosted a screening of Showgirls. And then a week after that, I had another screening. I just had so many things. And then the last weekend of March, I hosted a screening of Labyrinth and then also helped my great friend and very frequent special guest on the show, Shay Fillmore, and her co-host of her podcast, Ali Carreri, host the Oscars at Nighthawk Cinema on Oscar night. Oscar night will be something that we talk about a lot on this episode today. Um, So that all culminated the month. So it was just like a really crazy month. April has thankfully been more chill. I've had more time to be social and do some things outside of work. So that's been great. It's been it's been really wonderful so far. Um, You know, always continuing to find that balance and also just know what my own limits are and setting my own boundaries and everything. So that's been, as always, a journey. And I'm glad to have y'all along on this journey with me. So today, greetings from Los Angeles, California. 
This week's episode is called Adventures in Winning and Will Smith, and we will be getting into the nitty gritty of King Richard. Like I said, we're going to be talking about the Oscars a little bit tonight. But first, before we get into that, let's give some snaps and claps. Clap your hands, everybody, and everybody just clap your hands. So Snaps and Claps is a little segment that I'll do every once in a while on the show in which we celebrate something or someone within Black entertainment who just deserves a big old celebration. This is the antithesis to Decease and Desist, which I did last time on the show, where we, you know, want to get rid of something, where we want to, like, dead something that's happening. This is where we celebrate. So today, we want to celebrate Questlove and Summer of soul. We've talked about this doc so many times in the podcast so far, you know, from it premiering at Sundance and winning the jury and the audience award at Sundance to its whole journey of being picked up and just achieving so much over this award season. So, of course, this documentary won the Oscar for Best Documentary, like I said it would. And then a week after that, it won a Grammy as well. This film also won a BAFTA Award. It won an AFI Award. It won a Critics' Choice Award. It won an Independent Spirit Award. It won a National Border Review Award. It won the Producers Guild of America Award and so much more. This film has won 66 awards in total. In total. That is incredible. Like, what a feat for someone who is essentially a first-time filmmaker. This is Questlove's first feature film. He has truly, truly killed it and just really surpassed the high expectations that we already have of him as a beacon in the music community. He's just brilliant. I'm so, so happy for him. And, you know, in this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about Will Smith, who is also from Philly. So it's great to see some Philly love all around and to see some Philly celebration that isn't so mired in negativity of things that happened at the Oscar Awards. Something that's positive that we can talk about. Some good, positive, black juju. And this film not only won 66 awards in total, but it was also nominated for 43 more things. So... Wow, I am just so proud of Mr. Amir. I have not had the pleasure of meeting him yet in person, but I have so many mutual friends with him. You know, Amanda loves him and also working at Black Star. He's very much involved with that because that is a Philadelphia organization. So again, snaps and claps to Questlove. Just wonderful, wonderful work, sir. We salute you. And after this little commercial break, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of King Richard. Stay tuned. What's up, y'all? It's your favorite funny girl and common sense specialist, Amanda Seals, and I'm back at SiriusXM with Smart Funny and Black Radio. And this time, I'm bringing some friends. Hey, friends! That's right. We're hitting the airwaves every Monday on Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio with your weekly dose of black culture, black games, and a whole lot of black commentary. And you never know who's going to stop by. 
Catch new episodes of Smart, Funny, and Black Radio every Monday morning on Sirius XM Channel 96. Smart, Funny, and Black by any joke necessary. You are here for one reason, one reason only, to learn, to learn, to learn, to learn. All right, y'all, so let's get into the nitty-gritty of King Richard. King Richard was released in 2021, last year, and it was directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green. And here's a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it. This film tells the true story of Richard Williams, played by Will Smith, and his journey to make his two young daughters, Venus, played by Sanaya Sidney, who we have seen in a film that we covered way back on the podcast called Fast Color, and Serena, played by Demi Singleton, who the first time she opens her mouth, I was just so struck by how much she actually sounds like Serena Williams. It's really, really uncanny. So he's on a journey to make his two young daughters, Venus and Serena, two of the greatest living athletes in the sport of tennis, along with his wife, Brandy, played to excellent, excellent perfection by Anjanou Ellis, and his three other daughters. Through many ups and downs, trials and tribulations, money issues, neighborhood issues, living in Compton, and relational issues, we see Richard's persistence as well as the natural excellence of his daughters as they steadily rise to the top and become the cream of the crop and the legends as we know them today. This film also stars John Bernthal, who to me is one of the best supporting actors that we have today. He reminds me of kind of like a male counterpart of Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is just one of the best supporting actresses that we have and, you know, got her start on a black television show, A Different World. So it's cool to see John Bernthal show up and do such an excellent job as the man who became a very prominent coach in Venus and Serena's life. And let me tell you, even with this crazy lace front that they have John Bernthal wearing and this mega stash, this man could still fucking get it. He is so, so sexy. Like, ooh. I cannot believe. Find me, John Bernthal. Find me, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Uh, We also have Tony Goldwyn in this film as an early coach of Venus. And we also have cameos from Kevin Dunn, Dylan McDermott, and Erica Ringer, who you may recognize from Love and Basketball. So when I first see her in this movie as this neighbor who just like does not fuck with the Williams at all, she's very much calling them out, specifically Richard, on the way that he works his daughters on crazy schedules and stuff like that. And the first time I see her, I'm just like, who is this? I recognize her, but who is this? I was like, it's not Robin Thede, even though she looks like Robin Thede. Who is this woman? I recognize her. 
So again, as I've said very often on the show, it's so great to see these connections in Black film, to continually see people popping up in different roles and different films. And someone like her, who I honestly haven't really seen in a while. It was a really, really nice surprise. Um, So some fun facts. Let's hop on to some fun facts. So fun fact number one, Sonia Sidney, who plays Venus in the film, is left-handed and Venus Williams is right-handed. So Sonia had to train her ass off five days a week to not only learn how to play tennis, but also how to do so with her non-dominant hand. Oh my God. I mean, that is a really crazy feat. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize that goes into acting sometimes. I think sometimes people really believe that acting is mostly about showing up, knowing your lines, hitting your marks, knowing your character, things like that. But man, it can be so much more work than people give it credit for. And for this young woman to not only have to work at these skills, but also be really excellent in this movie. I mean, to see her go from fast color to this film, it's crazy to not only see her grow as a person. I mean, it's so funny to see this and be like, oh my gosh, she's gotten so big. But there's that aspect to it. And to see her just continue to deepen her work as an actor, I'm so excited to see what Miss Sanaya does in the future. She's really great in this film. I would say that all the women in this film are just acting, acting, acting. And I want and wish that the conversation was so much more surrounded around them and so much more about them than it is and was and continues to be about Richard Williams and Will Smith. So fun fact number two, the screenplay for this film was featured on the 2018 Blacklist, which is an annual list of unproduced, well-received screenplays. So essentially, a lot of writers will submit their screenplays to the Blacklist in order to get them produced. This is a very big way to get your screenplays noticed. A lot of studios and production companies do pay attention to these lists because the Blacklist is kind of like a a precursor and a good way to get your script kind of verified, a good way to have all these studios and big wigs and production companies and executives know that your script is good off the bat. A lot of people buy scripts from the blacklist. So if you are an aspiring screenwriter and you have something really good, I think you do have to have an agent to get on the blacklist, but it's a really good way to get your stuff noticed. And you really do see the journey, how long something can take to get made, even if it is on a platform like The Blacklist. This was on the 2018 Blacklist and it wasn't in production until 2020. So these things take time. Don't give up. 
I have heard of so many screenplays that have made the top of the blacklist that still haven't even been made. For example, there's this film that made the top of the blacklist a couple of years ago that is a film about Michael Jackson through the eyes of the monkey that he owned. And that film still has not been made, but it was greenlit years and years ago. So, you know, it's a long journey. It's a, it's the long game. Speaking of games and sports and such. And fun fact number three is that as a thank you to the cast, Will Smith split his $40 million earnings to the other actors as a bonus to their salaries. And that was also because they were filming a lot during the early parts of COVID. And of course, that led to many difficulties and just so many setbacks and everything like that. So this does also show what a generous person that Will Smith is. You know, this is a conversation that we will be having throughout the episode. I feel like we all now have this very interesting and complicated and complex relationship with Will Smith. And I think you can't have that conversation without the good things as well. That's a very generous thing to do and something that he did not have to do really at all. So, you know, big ups to Will Smith for doing that. That's very generous. A lot of these actors were not making nearly as much money because they don't have the same kind of pull as he does at all. So again, a very, very generous act from Mr. Smith. So my first experience with this film is that I initially was very uninterested in this movie, to be perfectly honest. The premise of a movie about the Williams sisters' father rather than themselves, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I do understand why it was through this lens in some ways, because the question and thesis of the film being like, how did these young women become so great? And part of the answer being that their father and their mother really pushed them to hone in on this greatness, work on their greatness, and just keep going and going and going and really working to provide them with opportunities that they could have never had themselves and opportunities that their daughters could have never had without these things that they helped to provide for them. So at the end of the day, yes, that is a very beautiful story and kind of, I guess, how you had to tell it, unless you were going to do a film about the greatness that they achieved as adults, in which what does the question become for the film in that sense? So I understand. I get it. And I did want to support one of the few Black films in theaters at the time, but I did end up missing it in theaters and ended up watching it at home a couple of days after Will Smith won the Oscar and of course slapped Chris Rock on stage after Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith's hair loss. And that is something that we all know about. And, you know, I had wanted to watch this film the day of the Oscars because I was working on catching up on all the Oscar films that I had missed because I was helping my friends, Shay and Allie, hosting the Oscar party, you know, so I wanted to be caught up. But the day of the Oscars was just so crazy for me. And I actually missed the slap in real time because during the show, Shay and Allie had a trivia moment 
and the winners of trivia were going to win Nighthawk Cinema t-shirts. So I was downstairs in the theater grabbing t-shirts with one of the managers and a good friend of mine named Jeanette. So I didn't know about the slap until I came back up into the room afterwards. So more on that later. But yes, my first experience was watching this at home. And I don't know how much my experience would have been changed watching this in the theater. And I guess that we will never know. (laughs) So let's get into these themes of winning and Will Smith. So first off, some thoughts about this film. I would generally say that I think that this movie is okay. You know, it is a sports biopic and hits all the usual notes. It's not necessarily a surprising film in any way. It does not reveal quite as much as I wish it did. I do think that biopics have an opportunity to be revealing about people, about events, about feelings, about some things that perhaps happened behind the scenes that we didn't quite know about. And there is a little bit of that within the film, right? There is some really nice tension in the last tennis match that we see in the film with Venus. And there is some revealing about their background that I perhaps didn't know. I also did not know that they had three sisters. What? I was very surprised to know that they had five kids. And, you know, of course, that Mr. Williams had a bunch of other kids that weren't in the picture. But yeah, I mean, the screenplay in some ways does feel dated. It feels like something that could have come out perhaps in the 90s and it would have felt just like the way things usually were, which is surprising in that this film, (laughs) among the many Oscars that it was nominated for, was nominated for Best Screenplay. And I'm like, what? To me, this dialogue does not feel great. And it does feel like the actors, specifically, again, the women, Anjanou Ellis really brings a lot to her role and a lot to her dialogue that, you know, enhances the screenplay. But I would say especially in Richard Williams' dialogue, it's just, I don't know, it's it's just not the best. There's, I think, a bit of a lack of finesse to it. There is kind of a feeling of like, here's an event. And here's another event. And here's another event. And here's another event. Kind of going along a timeline. I think with biopics, though they can be approached, and many are approached in a very typical fashion, there is some room to have some fun with it. And I wish that there had been more fun had with it. And I think it's tough in a lot of ways to approach a film like this because the general rule of thumb to me for stories, screenplays, is that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's hard to come up with a very good end for people who are either still living, because a lot of times a strong ending in a biopic will be, you know, someone dying, or a strong ending to a biopic can be someone really changing their lives and moving forward in a way that does feel like a proper ending. 
I think a good example of this is What's Love Got to Do With It? The film that is about Tina Turner because the film ends with her making the choice to leave Ike Turner. And a lot of that film is about their relationship and the crux of their relationship. And the question is answered through that ending. So there are many ways in which this film does fall flat to the point where I do even question why it was nominated for Best Picture. I mean, I get it. It does feel like your stereotypical Best Picture fair. And in some ways, those stereotypes about it that do make it your usual Best Picture nominee fair are also parts of it that make it really good. The aspects of this film that I do like are the aspects of the film that make it inspiring. I do think it's really important to see these stories of young people, specifically young black people, and even more specifically young black women, being inspired by the adults in their lives to be the best that they can be. I think kids really do need inspiration from adults in their lives, whether that be parents, whether that be teachers, whether that be other figures in their lives, pushing them to grow in a healthy way, that's very important in a healthy way, to become the best that they can be, to achieve the full potential that is seen in them. You know, your friends can do as much as they can, but to have someone that has been through certain things in their lives really pushing you to move forward, I think is just absolutely critical. I think that there are many ways in which adults in my life have always been there for me and confirmed that I am in the spaces that I am in because I belong there and to help me grow and push myself. So I think that that is an element of the film that is incredibly strong and part of what makes it good and watchable. Like I said, the film's not bad, it's fine, but these are the strongest aspects of the film. When we do see Richard inspiring his kids and the mother as well inspiring these kids, not just Venus and Serena, but also their other kids in the fields that they went to go into, that's really a beautiful thing. And it's a very, very paramount, paramount in a kid's life. And this idea that with support, you can achieve greatness and that you can do all things is just very important for all of us to see. Because I think even as an adult, as an adult myself, it's a great reminder that growth, while it can be done on your own, that support is just absolutely priceless. Absolutely priceless. So let's talk about Will Smith's performance in this film. Where are we practicing today, Daddy? Yeah, where are we practicing today? Well, we going someplace special today. These houses are huge. Yes, that one looks like a castle. You all like these houses? Yes. Well, that one looks like a white house. Which one? Which one you like? What's your favorite? I like that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one's nice. If that was my house, mm -hmm. I'd put a pool in the front and a slide on the roof. Well, put your pool in the front? Party, <laughs> and everybody's going to want to come to my house. Oh, you're just going to be the crazy lady on the block. Oh, I'm going to be the coolest person on the block. That one has a tennis court. Oh, that's the one then. That's the one. <laughs> you're going to have any one of these houses you want. Beverly Hills, Hollywood Hills, any of these old hills. 
Because you got a plan and you're going to stick to it. As a little boy, my mom used to say, son, the most strongest, the most powerful, the most dangerous creature on this whole earth is a woman who know how to think. Ain't nothing she can't do. Y'all know how to think? Yes, Daddy. Now, these people we about to go see, you going to show them how dangerous you are? Yes, Daddy. Let me see your dangerous face. That's your dangerous face. So, Will Smith's performance, let's talk about it. Um, you know, first of all, he, of course, won the Oscar for this performance. I don't think by any stretch that it's his best performance at all. I mean, to me, from the beginning of the movie, it does feel a little bit off. It feels more like he's impersonating somebody rather than truly embodying a person and how they really were. Though I did warm up to the performance as the film went on. I got used to it, which, you know, (laughs) is not the best compliment to get used to a performance rather than just be immediately dropped into a performance. It feels off because of those impersonation aspects. I mean, in a way, when I first started watching the movie, I was like, Will Smith, why are you acting in a way that feels like, quote unquote, the way that black people like are supposed to act and sound? There's just like a stereotypical fashion to the way that he's approaching this performance. Almost like it's like black people for dummies a.k.a. Black people for white people. Like, it does feel like a performance in that way, rather than channeling certain aspects of him, which, again, like I said, he does eventually get to do as the film goes on. It's very showy. It's very much uh, what we would call an acting school, an outside-in performance rather than an inside-out performance. Rather than tapping into some things inside of himself and achieving those things first, it feels like he wanted to nail how Richard Williams sounded and acted, which, to a certain extent, is not incredibly helpful because at the end of the day, though we are in some ways familiar with this man and familiar with how he acted, sounded, walked, things like that. And let me tell you what. What she was saying, she said it with so much confidence the first time. But if you keep going on and on, and on. So we can't keep it interrupting. I mean, if you want... You better to understand that you're dealing with an image of a 14-year-old child. And this child will be out there playing with your whole ass and he's going to be in the grave. When she says something, we done told you what's happening. You're with a little black kid. Those are not the most important aspects of him that I would draw from, and he's not the same celebrity status as Venus and Serena. In contrast, I don't really think that Anjanu Ellis, Sanaya Sidney, and Demi Singleton are trying to do those same things. Demi Singleton happens to sound like Serena to me, but I don't think that that is something that she was really trying to go for as an actor. I think she wanted to, I think all of the women were just trying to really embody the qualities of these people. There is um, 
I don't know, a lot of cliches that I think that he is approaching here. And like I said, as the film goes on, we do see a kind of fusing of these ways that Will Smith is ambitious as a person and as an actor and has in some ways in real life really challenged his own kids to push themselves and be better. Those things do come eventually, but it just did not sit right with me (laughs) in the first part of this movie. And I'm also wondering a couple of other things in terms of this performance, like why they didn't cast a darker skinned actor to play this role. This is something that came up when Maori and I were discussing Judas and the Black Messiah, and this is an opposite kind of thing happening here. They got a darker skinned actor to play Fred Hampton, who was a lighter skinned person, and that does change the story in that there are certain things that Fred Hampton was able to get done as a lighter skinned black person. What that says about him being kind of chosen as the face of the Black Panthers in his chapter, There's a kind of opposite thing that is happening here in that Richard Williams, as a darker skinned person with darker skinned children, the kind of adversity that he had to go through to an even greater extent than a lighter skinned person would have. Because let's be real, in terms of colorism, a lighter skinned person can get through a lot of doors easier than a darker skinned black person can. And as I've said before on the show, colorism is something that was created by white people in order to continue to divide black folks within our own community. I mean, that is just a very real thing that has affected our community in so many ways. So to kind of ignore that in some ways kind of changes the story a bit, right? I mean, when we see him at these tables with these white men negotiating for his daughters, going to bat for his daughters, that was a completely different story to see a darker skinned black man from Louisiana doing that in real life. I mean, it just is. It simply, it simply, simply is. Those white people were seeing him differently than they were seeing a lighter skinned person like Will Smith do that in this movie. And there are a ton of darker skinned black actors who I think really could have done a great job in this role. I mean, Jamie Foxx comes to mind for sure. There are also actors, of course, in different times that could have done a great job at this role. Of course, you know, Denzel, when he was younger, would have been great at this role. I think of someone like Jonathan Majors, if he was older, could have been great in this role. I think that actors like Chiwetel Ejiofor could have been great in this role. And then you think of actors who have unfortunately passed on who could have been great in this role. I mean, thinking about how excellent Dwayne Jones would have been in this role if he were still alive. And if you don't know Dwayne Jones, Dwayne Jones is the lead in The Night of the Living Dead. 
And he's also the lead in Losing Ground, among many other films. If you're unfamiliar with him, definitely look him up and you'll be like, oh my God, it's uncanny. He almost even looks like Richard Williams. It's really interesting. And of course, yes, I realize that in many ways this film could not have been made, period, without Will Smith behind it, without Will Smith starring in this film. Even though... These are titans we're dealing with in terms of Venus Williams and Serena Williams. It's hard to imagine this being made without the sheer star power of Will Smith. And he was very interested in playing the role. And he's a very big part, again, as to why it got made. So I understand all of these things. And at the same time, we have to understand how that does indeed change the story. And there's also an aspect to this film that I wish that they would have complicated Richard Williams a bit more the way that he is in real life. There are certain things that come to mind in how he pushed his daughters. I don't think it was quite as bad as a Joe Jackson in terms of how Joe Jackson pushed his children, the Jackson Five, to achieve their greatness and to achieve where they got. Marlon, outside, go, get a switch. I was doing it honest, I was. You start whining before you get the switch, you stop it, be a man, go! But still, I don't think that it was all sunshine and roses. At the same time, it wasn't child abuse, but I think there is kind of a hesitancy when we're talking about our heroes or just black characters in general. We try so hard not to villainize them and we try so hard to put them in an almost perfect light that we deny that there are some not great things that they did as well. And I think it's important to show us as complicated people because that's who we are. I think a lot of white actors and actors of other races, colors, and backgrounds get to play more complicated characters and get more meat to chew on in that way because I think we are a little bit scared to do that. I think that there has been, uh, and understandably so, so much villainization of us in the past through film, television, and other media you know, mostly through white people, the white gaze and how white people see us, that when we handle it ourselves, we don't really want to go there. And I think that there is a much more interesting story to be told if we had gone there. Of course, we do mention in this film Richard's infidelity and the way that Richard didn't necessarily show up for his family in other ways. And I think that's something that honestly, we as a culture can understand a bit more because that's something that we have just seen a lot. And again, this is something that white people expect, right? White people do, to a certain extent, ex expect this infidelity within a black family from a black man, you know? These are things that are, again, unsurprising within the narrative because these are things that are allowed to be shown in our stories and in our 
our lives. And we don't really necessarily want to highlight some other things that make us a bit more complicated, you know? So I think in a lot of ways, it's very telling that the Academy awarded him for this particular performance. Like I said, he's giving us a performance that in many ways fits a black narrative that white people are more familiar with in the way that he approached the character and the way that the character is. And I think we've seen time and time again that the Academy is more willing to award a performance from a black person or a person of color that does embody a a person that is a real person. They love to do that with biopics because, again, they can see this Black person and this Black character as a real person. They don't have to stretch their imagination. They don't have to squint their eyes. They don't have to squint their mind. Everything is already there for them, so they just kind of go for it, you know? Like I said, Will Smith has given better performances before. So at this point, you know, let's talk about Will Smith's legacy a little bit. And also let's talk about the slap a little bit. So Will Smith has quite, quite a legacy. And this legacy is so much of why I'm willing to forgive him for this particular performance that at the end of the day, I did not hate, but did not love. Because Will Smith is such a beacon for our community in a lot of ways and such a spearhead, right? Will Smith has been working in this industry since he was a teenager. And though I do not think that Will Smith is someone who's taken a lot of political stances, Will Smith is someone who a lot of people have been able to look up to. Will Smith really is a true embodiment of the Cinderella story. And was he able to get there in some ways because he's a lighter skinned person? Again, talking about colorism, yes, sure, of course. However, you know, going back to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the way that he was able to come to this show and achieve so much greatness and inspiration in terms of black television at the time is really quite undeniable. I mean, this show did so much in terms of black television, black representation. We were able to see so much in that show and through that show. He's excellent throughout the entire show. And he also, after that, did so much in terms of being such a big black action hero. I mean, he was one of the first people that we really saw do this and achieve these huge, big blockbuster numbers. There was a point where Will Smith was one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood as a black person. I mean, that is so major. And to see this effortless charisma just ooze out of him in all of his performances. His past performances in action films have been, I think, even more excellent because they're asking him, <laughs> and I don't mean this as an insult, but they're asking him to do less, right? And I think that there are some people who are movie stars that when they're asked to do less, when they're asked to really be themselves and just kind of ooze this charisma, it works a lot better. 
You know, thinking about bad boys, thinking about I am legend, I robot, Independence Day, and then something like Ali, where that is a role that he is absolutely perfect for. Again, playing a real person was not awarded an Oscar for this role, but again, playing a real person, a real person I think in many ways that he is more fit to play because there is kind of a a braggadociousness. I don't even know if that's a fucking word, but I just made it up that Ali has, that Will Smith also has, that I think was a perfect, perfect fusion of those two when it comes to actor and when it comes to real life person. I think he really channeled Ali in a really, really beautiful, beautiful way. And over the past few years, we have seen more things come out about Will Smith. We have kind of seen this other side of him, this more vulnerable side of him, because within this legacy that he has created, we've mostly seen this kind of silly, carefree person that we're more familiar with. We have seen the Will that we all grew up with playing different roles over time, right? And we have seen his bankability and his star power fade in some ways. We've seen movies like Bright fail. We've seen movies like Gemini Man fail. We've seen movies like Hancock fail. So we've kind of seen a side of Will Smith that has not done as well as he has in the past, which I think has led to this kind of vulnerability that we've seen. We've seen a lot of things come out between him and Jada through Red Table Talk, through access to things like social media and things like that. And it has become clear to me at least, and I think to other people, that he's been going through some things, right? He seems tired. He seems weathered. He seems like a different person. And that's partially because he's getting older. We do see this happen to people when they get older, right? I mean, This man is not the young spring chicken that he once was. And I think that that is something that's hard for him to reckon with as someone who started out as young in this business. And that's something that I think that it's hard for us to reckon with as someone who has seen him grow up and to a lot of people has have grown up with him. So it's been very abundantly clear to me that something's been a bit off, you know? It's very clear how he reacted to Chris Rock's joke about his wife, the G.I. Jane joke, that there's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and a lot of sadness and a lot of pressure that he's been going through and handling that he has not found a way to channel properly, right? The fact that he got up on this stage and slapped this man at the Oscars is one of the telltale signs that, you know, something is really up. And what the slap did for me is raise a lot of concern about him. Um, Do I think that Chris Rock should have made that joke? No. Do I think Will Smith should have got up on stage and slapped him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I mean, that's a given, right? I think to have a conversation about that is, you know, kind of futile. I think that there's a lot of things going on there, right? There's a fact that this is one of Will Smith's, though, one of the biggest nights in his entire life, hands down just 
Absolutely hands down. He knew that he was winning an Oscar that night. There's so much pressure on him. He's feeling a lot of things. Who knows what's been going on behind the scenes in his life. And for someone who presumably is his friend to make this joke while his wife is going through something really tough and Jada, you can see the kind of hurt that's going on in her face. And I'm really interested to see what happened in the shot between you seeing the joke being made, Will Smith's reaction along with Jada's reaction, and then the camera cuts back to Chris Rock. And I want to see what happened between that before Will Smith got up on stage and slapped him because there's a moment there that we're missing. Because at first you do see Will Smith laugh and take this as a joke that it was. And you see the hurt on Jada's face. So something happened between the two of them before Will Smith got up on stage and turned very angry. So I want to see what happened there. And in this moment where this is this black man's, one of the biggest nights of his life, one of the few black best actor wins that we've gotten, it would have been a really great time to just see us as black folks have each other's back. So there's a disappointment that I have in Chris Rock for making this joke on this very big platform. And of course, there is a very big disappointment that I have with Will Smith getting up on stage and slapping this brother. And, you know, at this point, we know that Will Smith is banned from attending the Oscars for the next 10 years and that a lot of future projects that he was going to work on have been stalled or have been taken from him, which I don't think is necessarily appropriate, especially when you weigh the fact that Louis C.K. just won a fucking Grammy and that there are so many other white actors, directors, producers, all kinds of white people that have not received any repercussions for the terrible and actually, honestly, more terrible things that they have done. So I think the reaction has been a bit unfair. And I think that there has been a lack of focus on how society in general just doesn't take what black women are going through seriously. Black women's hair is such an important thing. And when you look back at Jada Pinkett's career, and when you look back at the things that she has done, her hair was a very, very, very big important part of that. Think back to some of her hairstyles. And for a Black woman to have alopecia and be on such a big platform, this has been a really painful time for her. And to really not focus on what perhaps she may be going through as the person that this is all surrounding, just continues to go along with the narrative that people don't really necessarily care, which to me is very, very, very sad and very, very telling. And the treatment that Will Smith has gotten afterwards is also very, very, very telling. The disproportionate reaction to this and the fact that Chris Rock's brother has the nerve to call Jada Pinkett Smith a bitch during one of his sets. First of all, who the fuck is he? No one even really heard of him until last week 
when he was able to sell out shows for the first time probably in his life because of what happened to his brother and capitalizing off of that. It's just really sad. And I do appreciate Will Smith's apology. I do appreciate that Chris Rock did not press charges. To me, it was disappointing to be in a room where there was a lot of laughter and a lot of not understanding what was happening during Will Smith's acceptance speech because that was the most telling thing of them all, that this man is going through so much hurt and pain. And like other Black men in this country, we don't know what to do and we don't know how to handle it and we don't know how to channel it because we have not been given the tools and it oftentimes feels like no one cares to provide us with them. So in conclusion, getting back to the film at hand, I think this movie King Richard is fine. It's not horrible and it's also not great. And it's especially not as great as the Williams sisters are. I mean, when we're talking about winning in Will Smith, we're talking about the fact that Will Smith won the Oscar. And we're also talking about the fact that these two black women are two of the greatest athletes that we have had period. They are absolute winners and they have been such big inspirations to black people everywhere and specifically young black girls and black women, which is what is, it is so needed to see that. And I wish that this film leaned into that even more. I'm not sure it could have been from the outset a great film because of where they decided to focus. <laughs> and the fact that we are still talking about people who are living. So I think it's hard, again, to kind of complicate this man and show a lot of truth about him because Venus and Serena are still alive and they're very powerful people. And in order for them to sign on to executive producer roles and to get this film further than it could have been initially and to even get it made, honestly, they had to approve of what the film was. And we're also talking about a person who's still living in Richard Williams. It is a lot easier in terms of biopics to talk about someone who is dead because you can complicate someone who's not living anymore, even though you do have to usually get rights to the person's life, to the person's family and the person's estate. It's very difficult, very, very difficult. And in, again, it's easier to end a film when someone is dead because, you know, it's a great way to wrap it up. It would have been near impossible, like I said, to tell a more complicated and a nuanced portrait of this man while his daughters remain to be such rightfully powerful figures in sports and entertainment and with him living as well. It's a shame because being able to see the potential in the film is almost what makes it even more disappointing to walk away from. It might have been even more incredible to see just an independent art film about this, but again, it's near impossible. I'm glad that Will has an Oscar, but it would have been cool if it was for something that felt more true to him, which even Ali did, as I said before. So if you want to check out King Richard, which I do think at the end of the day is worth checking out to see black people winning, this film is now streaming on HBO Max. So after this little ad break, we will get into this week's You Better Act Award. So stay tuned. (laughs) 
So before we move on to the You Better Act Award, I have to also acknowledge this Harry Lennox article where he says that Will Smith should give his Oscar back to preserve the meaning of the Oscar. Fuck that. Fuck that. That is another example of us not having each other's backs. That is absolutely ridiculous. If we're going to resend Oscars to preserve what the Oscar means, then a lot of motherfuckers need to give their fucking Oscars back, please. And they did way worse things than Will Smith did. What Will Smith did was not good. It was wrong. However, he did not rape anybody. He did not have sex with someone who was underage. He did not kill anybody. Like, come on, bro. Come on. And guess what? You're never going to win an Oscar, Harry Lennox. And, you know, maybe you should just work on that. Worry about your own damn self. Please. Period. All my life I had to fight so now, officially, welcome to this week's You Better Act Award. And if it's your first time at Adventures in Black Cinema, the You Better Act Award is an award that I give out every single week on the show to a performance that I think deserves more love, praise, and attention. So I bestow it with that on my show. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please. Angela Bassett in Strange Days. You gonna get yourself killed for this? Huh? For this toxic waste bitch? What the fuck are you doing? Oh, this is your life! Right here, right now! It's real time, you hear me? Real time! Time to get real, not playback. You understand me? She doesn't love you anymore. Maybe she did once, I don't know, but she doesn't now. These are used emotions. It's time to trade them in. Memories were meant to fade, Lenny. They're designed that way for a reason. Now, if you don't know what this movie is, that's okay, because I really didn't know much about this movie until recently myself. This is a movie that was released in 1995. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow, which, speaking of the Oscars, Catherine Bigelow was the first woman to win the Oscar for Best Director, and that was for the film The Hurt Locker. So Strange Days is kind of like a gritty sci-fi film that takes place in L.A., and it's about a world in which it's about to turn 2000. We all thought Y2K was about to pop off. Pop off! What? I'm just... Pop off! And there's a technology in which people can essentially do what they call mind tripping. You put this device in your head and you can live through someone's personal memories through their point of view. So this was some technology that was, of course, developed by the military to, um, to interrogate people. And so now this is a black market tool that is sold and used and it's now more fabricated like it's you know POV crimes things to really put you in to the experience and give you that adrenaline high POV porn stuff like that so there's an old detective an ex-detective played by Ray Fiennes who is friends with 
Mason, who is Angela Bassett's character, who is a limo driver, and they get involved in a big old conspiracy together, and Angela Bassett is so fucking badass in this movie. She is always badass, but she is like truly beyond in this movie. She does more than support the male character. She kicks ass. She is incredibly assertive and just knows what to do at every single turn. She loves him, but that's not like, it doesn't feel like the only reason that she does these things. She could honestly be a detective herself, but there is such a big part of this movie that is very anti-cop because it is inspired a lot by Rodney King and Lorena Babbitt. So those elements being very strong in this movie, you don't say to yourself, oh, like, you know, she could be a cop, but man, oh man, does she get to kick some cops asses oh it's incredible to see it's just again she is so incredibly flawless in terms of the projects that she chooses and how she delivers in every film some aspects of this script are not my favorite the movie is very good though and she just brings a whole other level to this character than i think is present on the page. And if you want to hear more love about this performance, head on over to Smart, Funny, and Black Patreon, where I will give you an extended look at my love for this character of Mason in Strange Days, played by Angela Bassett. So if you want to check out Strange Days, it is available to rent on Apple and Amazon. Definitely check it out. Very underrated film. So, in closing, some food for thought. I want to know from you, what is your personal favorite Will Smith performance? And please do not say slapping Chris Rock on stage or his Oscar acceptance speech. Think of something else. Comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow the podcast on Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Give us a rating on both platforms. Show us some love. Thank you so much to the team per usual. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. We have Mr. Matt Mozzarella, our audio engineer. And of course, Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening at Nighthawk Cinema will be Blade. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. On 35mm at our Prospect Park location, Thursday, May 12th. So head on over to nighthawkcinema.com and get your tickets. That is night spelled N-I-T-E. And again, at our Prospect Park location, I would love to see y'all there and give you your own personal passports to Black film. And next time on the podcast, we will have a very, very special guest. We will have Miss Amanda Seals herself to discuss one of her favorite films of all time, Coming to America. So see y'all next time on the show. And until then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye, y'all.
it's over. Great. 